Deep Talks is a listener-supported podcast free of advertisement because generous supporters just like you are supporting over on Patreon. Hope you enjoy today's episode with Dr. Kaz Hayashi. I think it's good that, you know, um, people are challenged with their cultural and worldviews. Um, there's a bigger world outside the States. So how um, one person think of a system, whether that religious, philosophical, cultural, political, may not be the only way to view how things are done. Um, from, from that point, I think watching anime, and of course good anime, will, would cause people to think, think deeper. And I, I always think um, experiencing other cultures is really formative for most people. I, I've lived in multiple countries and visited many countries before, and just seeing the lives of people and that, um, and seeing that it, despite the differences, they are created in the image of God, they are people that are valuable. Um, um, you can find ways to relate to people of different culture values. I think, I think that's very important. Welcome everyone to another episode of Deep Talks. You know, for the last six years, many of you have been asking me, Paul, can we please hear something about theology and anime? And for six years, I've told you I'm probably not your guy, unfortunately. Um, you know, my my uh, anime experience is probably limited to uh, Superbook for some of you that grew up with the uh, in the evangelical heyday of the 80s and 90s, that, that odd Christian anime. And then... Uh, you know, probably Dragon Ball Z and my little brother teaching me about Pokemon. So that's about it. But today I'm really excited to have on Professor Dr. Kaz Hayashi, who is actually a professor at my alma mater, Bethel Seminary, where I got my master's in Christian thought. And uh, we're just delighted to have Dr. Hayashi on the program today to talk a little bit, not just about theology and anime, but to help us understand uh, a better way of engaging with cultural texts outside of Western culture, outside of American culture, and to think think through that thoughtfully and to engage with that uh, with a, a healthy theological engagement. So, uh, Dr. Hayashi, thank you for being hey, with thanks us. Thanks for today. having me, Paul. Maybe we can start a little bit. I, I tend to like to introduce new guests who uh, who haven't been on the podcast before to introduce my audience to the journey that you've had both personally and academically into what many people find like just spellbinding and dumbfounding. How is it possible that someone can give their life to theology or to biblical studies? There's a lot of people that listen that have an interest in it, but the idea of going all the way through and getting a PhD seems like a daunting task and seems like it would have to be a unique set of experiences uh, to bring that kind of vocation into someone's life. So you could, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, both the, maybe the spiritual side of your journey and also how that weaves and wove into your academic pursuits? Yeah, of course. Um, I was born and raised in Japan. And if um, anyone knows anything about Christianity in Japan, one thing that they'll notice is that it's very small. Um, in fact, recent surveys, national surveys, indicate that there's only 1% of Christians, in, of, uh, 1% of Japanese people are Christians. So um, we, it's kind of an anomaly growing up in Japan to be a believer. Um, and I was grateful to have grown up in a Christian household. Well, I like to call a mixed household. Um, my mother was a believer, but my father a scientist. But, you know, my mo mother took me and my brothers and my sister to church growing up. Um, it was really when I was in high school, about the age of 16, that I really, really became serious about following Jesus. And that led me to a decision to actually want to study at a Christian environment or learn a little bit more about the Bible or be surrounded by other believers. So I actually transferred and went 
to a Christian boarding school in Malaysia called Dalat International School. So that's where I did my um, high school years. And um, at this Christian boarding school, you know, I lived in a dorm where, you know, with other believers, a lot of the missionary kids that, that came to the school. We had chapel um, every week. And also you took um, classes related to the Bible or just being um, what it means to be Christian. So it was really formative um, in my years. And um, I just remember when I hit that year as a senior in high school, I just said, hey, God, you know, what would you like to do? I'm open to anything. And that was the first time I felt God calling me into full-time vocational ministry, not knowing what and how that will look. So that led me to say, well, I guess that means to be a pastor or missionary, right? Uh, so I applied to a pastoral ministry program in um, in New York um, at a school called Maya College. Some people know it's a Christian Alliance school, but I transferred to Moody Bible Institute, um, and that's where I graduated from my undergrad. And already at that point, there was kind of a formative moment in my life, um, in my studies. I just remember um, talking with friends, right, other friends that are believers and studying to be ministers. And I just felt like my question was, how can we understand the Bible better? Um, you know, how can we really know what God is trying to say? And my friend's answer was, dude, you just got to feel it, right? Um, and I, I completely, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm a Trinitarian, I believe it, that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in our world today. But I just felt like there has to be something more concrete than, you know, um, something subjective like that. Um, and, you know, maybe that's son of a scientist coming here, you know? Um, yeah, right. And um, when I was studying at Moody, I started taking first Hebrew. And second of all, a class that was on the backgrounds of the Old Testament, geographical, historical. And um, that, when I studied both of those, that gave me the answer. I said, this is it. Studying God's word in its original language in Hebrew was definitely something that made me feel like, oh, this is how you understood the nuances better. And being an English as a second language speaker myself, I can understand that, right? Because I would. You, you can ask any Japanese person, and no one would ever say that I prefer to watch anime dubbed. No one would ever say that if you understand Japanese, because it's, in, in, in fact, if you watch dubbed or subtitles anime, you actually critique it all the time. Like, that's not really accurate. Mm, that's, that's maybe not the meaning that's going behind it. So for me, when I studied Hebrew, that was an immediate, like, I get this, right? Oh, this is this is closer to the original meaning and intent of the author. And um, having studied the historical and cultural backgrounds of the Bible, I said, well, again, me as an immigrant to America, you know, I, I just understood the, the deep culture that really informs how people think, how people act, and just understanding the world behind or experiences behind a person. So in the same way, I thought understanding the historical and cultural backgrounds of the Bible really opened up like better exegesis or more faithful exegesis. So um, when I was graduating, when I was graduating from my undergrad from Moody, I already knew that I felt like, you know, you know, I met my wife and my wife said, cause I really see you as a teacher. So that kind of led me to this path of pursuing more what I call academic, you know, vocational ministry rather than your typical you know, church setting. So I did my master's at um, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. I did one in um, MA in ancient uh, biblical and ancient Eastern archaeology. I also pursued an uh, MA in Old Testament and Semitic languages. Then I did my PhD in the area of Old Testament from Baylor University. And after that, now I'm at uh, Bethel teaching Old Testament.
Wow, what a journey. I'm curious uh, whether or not you had to process at a particular juncture of your life being Japanese and knowing knowing in recent history, right, the tensions between, uh, as, as you mentioned already, there's only 1% of the, the population in Japan professing to be Christian. And I've been thinking a lot about this, you know, uh, recently since uh, I came out of the theater a few months ago after watching Godzilla Minus One, which is probably one of my favorite films of the year, and thinking about the impact of uh, impact of the war and post-war American presence in Japan, whether or not the associations with American empire and Christianity, was that something that you had to work through at any point in your life? Or was it just simply a matter of, you know, your, your, your mother had such a strong faith, you were just raised in that environment. There weren't any questions about, uh, about Christianity in that, in that regard, or was there a point in your life where like, man, I really have to wrestle with this and my Japanese heritage? You know, um, that's a great question. I've never had a negative impression of Americans or really Westerners. And if you talk to most Japanese people, I highly doubt that they will say anything negative actually towards um, Westerners. And that includes my grandparents who lived through the war. Um, Japanese people have a very, um, positive outlook towards um, Americans. Um, um, it's, it's almost a mystery, right? Like these two countries that were enemies at one point that literally killed each other, right? Um, would not hate each other. But if you think about it, America, Japan is one of the strongest ally, even politically, to the United States. Um, I And for me personally, I grew up around missionaries, American missionaries. And that's really how we came to, my family came to know the Lord. So I, I only had very, very positive ideas and impressions towards uh, America uh, in specific. I mean, I'm, my wife is American, like a white American gal. Um, so even that kind of shows, shows um, you know, for, for me like that, I, I personally never really had that kind of um, maybe negative impression that some other Asian countries may have towards Western countries due to their political, historical um, background right? right um and uh, but that being said um this idea of trying to read the bible from a japanese perspective and experience is something that's a little bit more recent in my mind um you know as as i've studied the bible in an academic setting um there is these approaches that um amongst biblical scholars that are saying well you know maybe how the Western church has traditionally understood a passage may reflect a Western bias that is not really um, faithful to the biblical text. Um, for example, you know, probably ancient Israel is a lot more collectivist than what our Western culture would be. Um, and um, Western culture is extremely monotheistic, right? Because we are raised in this um, idea like where Christianity is the predominant religion. And, you know, but really, if you read the Old Testament, it's very polytheistic. Um, and from that perspective, um, I, I remember one of my mentors, uh, they, um, um, they, you know, um, um, he's written the famous, he's a Japanese Old Testament scholar and Ugaritologist who wrote the New International Commentary of the Old Testament Samuel volumes. Um, he, he even talked about how Japanese is one of the very rare countries that are really truly polytheistic these days too so in that sense we have a cultural affinity to maybe the world 
that the OSU was. So in some, some sense, I think maybe our Japanese experience or how God made me as a Japanese place in Japan for a season of my life can contribute to maybe uh, studying the Old Testament from a new perspective. Hmm. One of the ways that Japanese culture seems to be having the strongest impact on American culture today is through the medium of anime. And I wanted to talk the rest of our time uh, focusing on theology and anime. You know, when I was a teenager, cause anime had a pretty niche following in the U.S. Um, there were always mainstream shows, you know, even going all the way back to as early as the, the 60s and 70s. You had, you know, like Astro Boy and Speed Racer and Voltron in the 80s. And then in my heyday, of course, it was Dragon Ball Z and then, then Sailor Moon and Pokemon. But it was still it was still fairly taboo to be like a hardcore anime fan. Uh, even in my teenage years, people would look at you with suspicion. Um, and that's completely changed in American culture from my vantage point for my kids' generation, for Gen Z and younger. Like, uh, anime seems to play a central role in their life as like Superman and Batman did, and X Men and Marvel stories did in my life as a kid. What do you think has contributed to the surge of popularity and acceptance of anime in American culture? Yeah. Um... I, I honestly do think one of, one of the primary reasons is just simply accessibility, right? Um, when, you know, um, in 80s and stuff, like it's, you know, that was the beginning when anime started to um, become broadcasted on television um, through um, Cartoon Network and Tanami and things. So that just made it just more accessible and less boring. Right. And before that, um, like you said, it was a very niche group, you know, to be an anime fan um, meant that you had to order something maybe even directly from Japan. Even if it's not directly from Japan, I mean, you have to hunt for it. You have to buy the DVD that was usually, you know, um, fun fan dubbed or something or subbed. So the, the because of that, it, it was a very niche thing. Right. And, you know, even for me, like living in the States now, um, I'm a big fan of martial arts because Japanese people are known for martial arts. But the martial art fan base is very niche in America now because usually, you know, if you want to watch a UFC fight, you usually have to pay for it, right? Meaning it's just that that's smaller of a fan base than let's say football, where anyone can watch it and every school would have a football team. How many schools would have a USC team or mixed martial art team, right? So because of that, it's just accessibility. Um, and uh, I think that has really, really contributed positively um, to the spread of anime culture. Um, other things is probably um, you start seeing it, you know, more mainstream in other various ways. For example, when um, Miyazaki Kyle, the Studio Ghibli film, Spirited Away, um, won the best, you know, um, animated film, that was a big moment um, in the anime um, fan base, just because for the first time, this international association, right, the, the Academy Award said, this is the best, right? I mean, it's that time that it said, well, this is better than any, you know, Disney film, perhaps, that even came out that year. So that, that, that really made it something that was like acceptable and acknowledged as beauty and something that, you know, has value um, by an international critical um, uh, group. I also think that um, even in these days, there's a lot more um, exposure uh, that are indirectly anime. For example, you know, recently Netflix released the live action version of One Piece, which is one of the most popular and longest running anime of Japan. 
Well, a lot of people who might not watch anime wouldn't mind watching a live action show like One Piece that Netflix did. So that's um, it's one step removed, but it's still being exposed to anime storytelling and character development. Um, a really famous film um, that Hollywood blockbuster, right? There are a lot of bad anime to live action in Hollywood, but one great one is um, Edge of Tomorrow, which is it was starring Emily Blunt and. Tom Cruise, and that was actually originally a manga, not quite an anime, but mangas or, you know, um, novels or, you know, graphic novels that becomes anime. So even there, there's this, um, you know, and I, I knew a lot of people that said I had no clue that was based on a Japanese manga. So here there's these indirect um, ways that people are being exposed to um, the world and culture of anime storytelling and art. I wondered too how much the back, you know, obviously you're, you're right that the technology, the, the advent of streaming services has made distribution of this content much, much more accessible. But I also remember cause, you know, when I would have like, I would, I would push my parents. This is how much I loved Dragon Ball Z as a kid. I would push my parents to go to the 8 a.m. service on Sunday mornings because Dragon Ball Z <laughs> came on at 10.30 a.m. You know, and as a seventh grader, it was like, and it was serial format too. It was like, find out what happens next time on Dragon Ball Z and be like, oh, next week, mom, dad, we have to go to the eight o'clock service so we can get back and figure out what's going on in the, the Saiyan saga here. Um, that was something. But I also noticed like when my parents were in the room, like watching it, my mom always just felt like, this is just strange. You know, it was like she didn't feel the same way when I was watching like Batman, the animated series or some traditionally American comic book story. But there was something to like my parents generation that felt a little bit like and maybe these were just kind of leftover fears of the way uh, I'm, I'm not saying my parents were xenophobic. I'm not saying that at all. But there was certainly uh, coming out of the Cold War. Uh, fears of outside cultural influence. You know, my dad used to joke all the time. He was a you know football American football player in college, and he used to joke that you know, oh, soccer is a communist sport, right? <laughs> this is the advent of soccer. You know, and it's like, Dad, I don't know about that. He was joking, by the way, Dad. I know you're not actually uh, afraid of communists, but uh, they had a, like this experience that they actually found it like disorienting, and I know that kind of felt a little bit like among my friends and their parents that someone that was in to anime at that time was almost doing something taboo. Do you have any idea? Could you speak to any of the, maybe the potential reasons why, and even I confess, like sometimes cause when I, I've tried to watch things like One Piece or, um, you know, Cowboy Bebop, there is this sort of disorienting experience where it's clear this is coming from another cultural context which has a different set of cultural values. And maybe that is all that I'm feeling that, that sense of, Oh, I don't, I, the meaning making system here seems to be slightly tuned slightly differently than what we have here in America. Could you speak to whether or not you see potentially those factors as being things that kind of maybe kept anime from being bigger in the United States at the time and whether or not you see those attitudes changing and shifting? Yeah, um, I think whether it be decades ago or today, watching anime will always force you to enter in a different culture world, right? Um, so in that sense, 
I don't know if that aspect has changed because, you know, watching anime, you know, it is created by Japanese, mostly Japanese people for Japanese consumption for the most part, right? So um, the creators clearly will not share cultural or, you know, um, cultural values or, you know, backgrounds that uh, an American would or any Westerner would, right? Um, so in that sense, it is entering into a foreign world. I mean, and it's foreign in every way. I mean, you if you watch it subbed, you're listening to a different language that you just don't understand. Um, the art style, radically different than American cartoons, right? So even the aesthetics is foreign. Um, you can, um, and that's just, you know, the aesthetics and language part, right? Uh, but if you actually watch it, pay attention to it, the culture value is completely different than what a Westerner would uh, share. Um, so, in that sense, really, watching anime is almost as if you're visiting a foreign country. Um, and some people like that kind of disorienting um, experience, right? Some people enjoy um, visiting new places, seeing new things, learning different languages. You know, some people are, are like that. But there are a lot of people that, you know, they can be homeboys and they just prefer the comfort of home, right? They like um, how things are done. They understand the cultural system. Um, they know, um, the, you know, how people communicate and things. So um, in that sense, yes, um, that could be a reason both past and present that will shun people away from wanting to watch them. And I mean, I mean from a Christian perspective, um, I'm, I even have to say that, you know, sometimes even Christians are worse at this. Um, really, you know, they, they, they feel like these are certain ways this should be done. These are certain ways we believe and think and everything outside of that is, you know, of the devil or so to say, right? Um, and I just remember, um, I didn't know this, but when I moved to the States, I had friends that said, oh, you know, my friends, you know, said, you know, Pokemon's from the devil um, and, <laughs> and would show me YouTube videos of these scathing, you know, preaching. And that was kind of the main point of the sermon. Like, don't make your kids watch or play Pokemon. And I'm, I was just completely set back um, with that idea. I was like, you know, uh, out of all the things you could preach from the word of God, you preach about Pokemon. I mean, like this, this, this just <laughs> seems odd, um, you know, forced association between like something foreign as almost demonic. Um, I, I just, uh, I just think that's a very sad reality. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's as if, you know, like, let's say a lot of, you know, um, Americans or white Americans grew up in, you know, your white church, typically. And if you go to a black church service, even that will make you feel out of place a lot of times because, you know, the worship style is different, right? Um, the, how, the, how the service went is different. How the sermon is structured is different. I mean, it's it's. These are, you understand the language, but you are forced to experience a culture and music and everything that's radically different from what you're comfortable with, right? So, um, there, so even watching anime, you know, I think Christians will have this idea of like, oh, I feel uncomfortable. I don't know what to make, make of this. And, you know, sometimes the easy thing is, well, what, what I do and what I know is good, godly, correct, and everything else is incorrect. So there's sometimes an easy um, reductionist and maybe bifurcation that happens there. Right? Yeah, you mentioned the the beauty of the aesthetic of anime, and I've wondered whether or not uh, I'm going to throw this out there as a theory, as someone with a total novice in, when it comes to anime. 
But one of my working theories right now is that, uh, you know, our, our culture has actually at this deep, and we all humans do, this is innate to the human experience, but particularly in this cultural moment when we are oversaturated with advertising, with, um, with images that are used to derive a particular um, output from us, uh, driven by greed oftentimes. We feel oft often that the images that we are saturated in are always asking of us something. They're driven by greed, they're driven by lust, that there does seem to be a deep desire for the beautiful uh, that seems to be a doorway for people into experiencing the transcendent in our secular age. And I've wondered whether or not the surging popularity of anime isn't, yes, the distribution through streaming services plays a factor, but yet still those streaming services have to realize that they're going to get clicks and they're getting clicks and watches. And I'm wondering how much of that has to do just with how beautiful the aesthetic is. It, it is, it can be disorienting, but you watch, you know, like a Studio Ghibli film and I think of Spirited Away and Spirited Away is incredibly disorienting. To me, it's like a, it, it's the closest thing I could think of was like Alice in Wonderland, but it's like Alice in Wonderland if you were on LSD. <laughs> you know, it's so, it's such a disorienting experience, but there's something deeply beautiful about that film. Uh, the Just the, exper the aesthetic experience of it, which seems to be the case throughout all of the Studio Ghibli films. And if you just turn on pretty much any anime, you notice an art and an aesthetic, an expertise, a competency that seems, and from my vantage point, to in many ways be vastly superior to much of the animated content that gets generated here in America. How much of you, how much of the attraction to beauty do you think is playing a role in this the surging interest uh, of anime in the West right now? Yeah. I feel like I have to say yes and no. I agree to you to some extent, and I probably disagree in some other ways. So let me try to explain, right? Um, this idea of attraction to beauty, that's, I think that is universal to humanity, right? People are attracted to beauty, and I think that that, that makes sense. And I would agree that some some of the art styles of a Ghibli film, right? I was just watching um, Howl's movie Castle with my kids yesterday. We are just talking about how beautiful the art is. Um, and so, yes, you watch certain series, and it's amazing, amazing. Um, um, another a couple other series that people comment about the art, the artistic quality is um, Jujutsu Kaisen is the Japanese um, Japanese title, but um, what's it? I don't know the English title. Sorry, I watch things in Japanese, um, but that that's a very okay. popular one. And another one is um, Japanese says Kimetsu no Yaiba um, Demon Slayer is another very popular series that has breathtaking art. Yes. So does art play a role in how people view it and want to view it? A hundred percent. That being said, um, there are other art series that per perhaps the art is not as beautiful, um, especially, you know, um, recently there's been a lot of re-releases of older anime because um, it might have um, art styles that are a little bit more dated than what people prefer now. Um, and some anime series are intentionally simplistic in its art too. So, and we all know that art is in the eyes of the 
beholder or beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? So what some people think is beautiful, other people will not find beautiful. And the fact is, I mean, when I talk to most people, they probably prefer to spend time watching us, I don't know, basketball game, football game, which that's not me. I prefer to go to a museum any day, but I'm a minority. I know that I'm a minority on that front. So um, is there a more bigger appreciation of art that contributes to anime? Yes and no. Um, I, I do agree that there is the beauty of art that should contribute to why people want to watch it, but I don't think that's simplistically sim simply the main or only reason. Um, but I think if you broaden this, the category of beauty um, to more than um, aesthetics, I, I, I do think that that will talk that does contribute to why people might want to watch anime. For example, Japanese anime have beautiful soundtrack. Um, you know, if you watch a Studio Ghibli film, um, you are the Joe Hisashi is uh, the writer um, and the beautiful classical music that he writes. Um, um, I think that is certainly why people want to watch it. Um, recently, there is a movie uh, within the past couple of years called Bell, which is almost a Japanese retelling of the Beauty and the Beast one. Um, and that was extremely popular both in Japan and when it was released internationally. And the music is really, really well done. So here you have um, kind of like this, um, not simply what you look, but what you hear. And um, of course, one of the main beauties of anime has to be its storytelling. I think that 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 has to be appreciated too, because I remember when I was about 10, my I moved to the States for about half a year because of my dad's work. And I would turn on TV and I see cartoons, right? And I watch a cartoon and of course there's this thing of like, hmm, I didn't like the art as much. Um, they hardly have decent soundtracks. And then what really threw me off is that it was episodic, right? A story did not continue. And I'll watch it the next day. I'm like, this had nothing to do. There's no story development. There's no plot, right? Um, so that that was and, and that's completely different with anime with anime there are some episodic um series but for the most part you know they they're supposed to be a season a multi-season and actually many series goes on for years so um in contrast to what you can build up with character development plot with just maybe one episode which would be 30 minutes or even a movie which can be one to three hours having hundreds of hours to um, develop character and um, um, build up a story really, I think, contributes to why people would want to watch anime and keep watching anime just because of its compelling storytelling. You did a master's at TED's and one of my favorite professors over at TED's is Kevin Van Hooser. I, I didn't have him, but I, I've read a lot of Van Hooser stuff and Ke Kevin Van Hooser talks a lot about cultural texts and how cultural texts transmit theological claims and implied values on like what the good life looks like, what's true, what's good, what's beautiful. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm wondering as Americans, people that have been born bred, raised in American culture, uh, as they engage with anime, um, with given that only 1% of the Japanese population professes to be Christian, what level of engagement should someone expect with Christian theological ideas happening within the genre of anime? What other sorts of uh, religious worldviews and philosophical view worldviews might 
one might someone need to be familiar with in order to understand that cultural text on its own terms? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with Kevin Van Hooser. I actually, in the article I wrote about analyzing Yahweh and anime that's um, coming out, in, I think the next year or something as a part of an edited book, you know, I, I, I really engage with this idea of like cultural hermeneutic or exegesis, meaning, you know, he kind of stands at this point of, you know, in order to preach effectively or teach effectively, we should, of course, know how to study the biblical texts and, you know, um, um, and get, you know, draw meaning from it in a right way. But also it's equally important as a communicator to know your own audience, right? Or your own, you know, what, what kind of things are people thinking? Um, and, you know, what, what, what are their value systems? So exit, you know, exegeting or interpreting the culture is, uh, I think, equally important. So in that sense, I think anime is a wonderful vehicle to do cultural exegesis, specifically for a Japanese crowd. But the fact that so many, um, even Americans, are watching it now, and specifically this newer gen, uh, gen Z generation is really, really a big consumer of anime. Um, it's, it, it is something good to notice and say that there is something that even uh, our younger generations uh, American younger generation is thirsting and being attracted to something about this, right? Um, how much Christian theology should you expect? Basically nothing. Um, that, that's simply the fact just because it's not written by Christians for Christians, right? Um, and, you know, uh, most anime has nothing to do with Christianity or very little to do with Christianity. And if it has something to do with Christianity, it's probably not what we would think is a biblical theological way to to think about who God is or how our faith um, functions. So, um, so in that sense, no. However, if someone's a Christian, they should be able to ask and think, how as a Christian can I understand what I see, right? And those are two very different things. It's, you know, it's not, I don't think anime is explicitly trying to make Christian claim or theological claims in that sense. But as a believer, um, we can hear what is being communicated and understand that theologically or assess that from a theological lens. Um, what kind of cultural, um, I guess, value systems should people know? Well, of course, J Japan traditionally really is, uh, you know, polytheistic and plus kind of almost animistic uh, religious culture, right? Um, the two primary religions are Buddhist and Shinto, which are both um, polytheistic religions. So, Having an understanding of that can maybe help um, help you understand what might be happening and why they think or act in a certain way. Um, and it's just good to know that, you know, those are just, I don't think they're trying to convince its audience that this is how you should view the world. But it is simply showing, like, this is a worldview that people present, and especially for a Japanese context, this is kind of like just a given. Most people think or believe these things, right? Whether that be, um, you know, um, maybe this idea of like rebirth or this idea about, um, um, you know, deification following death or um, so there's some things that are like that, that people should be aware of. Of course, um, one thing I'd like to talk about Japanese and even, you know, when I talk with my brother or friends who watch anime, I, I, also, I often say that Jap, um, anime almost is 
a reflection of people's inner desires is how I would like to think of it. Um, so, so that doesn't mean it reflects reality, but perhaps um, how people think the world should be or ought to be. And from that perspective, even Christians can engage in conversations. Um, I remember recently I was watching um, an anime series and there's this anime series and what's really popular these days is a, a genre called isekai. Isekai literally means uh, another world or um, a parallel universe. And typically what happens is a person dies or has some event that caused this person to go and be either rebirth or start a new life in an alternate reality. Um, so in, in that sense, um, in that sense, it's almost like death and afterlife. You see some of these things, things right? And um, in this alternate reality or this isekai, these people get to live out the life that they really wanted, right? Um, and usually there's this fantastic element of having, you know, dealing with magical things or uh, deities and stuff, or, you know, it can be very mundane but still with something um, special about it. So when I was watching this series, I was thinking like, well, I think it shows desires of people that they understand that there, there's more to life than this realm um, and that they inherently desire something better. And from a Christian, we can understand that, right? Um, we, we can relate to that. And we can say that, yes, um, that the Bible speaks to this reality too. Yeah. Yeah. Think about as you're mentioning that. I think about uh, what, what Justin Martyr said about you know, the, the, the schools of Greek philosophy that preceded him. That, that he saw the seeds of the logos present even in Greek philosophy. Where could one maybe expect? Are there particular series? I think of this question that came in from one of our Patreon members, Jean Marc, and Jean Marc asked. Some, for someone interested in theology but no knowledge of anime, what would be a good anime to start with and for what reason? I think Jean-Marc is really thinking of, I really want to not just engage with this, this different set of cultural texts, but I'm really curious about where I might find like seeds of the logos in particular anime. Where would be a good place to begin for someone that has little to no experience with anime? Yeah. Um, I think you said, you know, you grew up watching Super Bowl, right? So in Japan, it's really interesting. I'm hoping to do a project on this in the coming years where um, they basically value, Japanese people value the Bible as a historic document, right? It's something important um, historically. And this was, I remember my mother saying that even growing up for her, her parents who were non-believers said, well, you should read this manga bible because it's just good to know right it's it's world literature so um so there are certain anime series that you can see that the bible is kind of retold and for christians you know you might know grow up with veggie tales or you know there's this new super book series that are being played right now so um usually this is made by christians for christians but interesting in japan non-christians make Bible series for non-believers because they see this as, you know, good storytelling and good cultural historical, you know, document that we should all be aware of. So um, one of the giants of Japanese anime, his name is Tezuka Osabe, and he's really kind of like this um, 
the the guy who started it all, right? He's he's a, a, a tr tremendously important figure um, in the history of anime production. He actually was asked by the Vatican to produce a series on the anime, and um, so that that series might be good to look at. And that that with that, you know, you watch it, and you know, even as a believer, you can appreciate the storytelling. But you also notice some differences, right? That it's it's not the Bible, so. Um, there's some retelling and additions and omissions that are happening that are perhaps reflective of how this person particularly understood what that Bible story meant. So in that sense, you know, um, I think any good film would make a person want to know more, right? You might watch a historical film like, oh, I don't really know about World War II. Maybe I should Google it real quick. I think that's a win, even with these kind of series, right? So maybe... Watching a series like that, as well as some as Bible series, is wonderful. That you know, um, you get to keep asking, like, how much do I know this biblical text? Is this faithful? And how is this person interpreting it, understanding it? Right? Um, I think that that's a good good series. That's interesting. There are other series that um, will make you think as a believer because it has something to do with Christianity or how um, Christianity is portrayed. Right? So. One of the series, um, an explicit one, that could be is um, Japanese title Sainto Nisan. It's, uh, I actually don't know the English title. Again, I, I apologize, but um, I can email it to you uh, sometime. Paul. But um, yeah. this series, it's a pretty recent one. And um, the whole premise is what would have happened if Jesus and Buddha were to be um, roommates in Tokyo today? So here is a really, it's, it's actually comical. You're seeing these two figures inter, um, interact and, you know, kind of engage with each other. Um, so that, that, that's a series that has, you know, they, they make claim about Christianity with Jesus, right? Portray it in certain ways, right? Of that as limited as their understanding is. Um, so there's that, um, a very good series. Uh, it's called Dylan Saga. And this is a Viking series that um, came out recently within the past two years that's extremely popular. And um, that one um, is, it's kind of historically true in the setting where, you know, in Europe where Christianity is a religion. And you can see some interesting portrayal of like uh, Christianity related with, you know, crusades, movements, various things that are happening um, at that time. So that, that's a good series to uh, watch. Um, there's another series that I engage a little bit with my um, forthcoming article. Is um, It's called, the English title is Maria the Virgin Witch. It's not really accurate translation of the Japanese, but this series is um, really based on Joan the Ark, right? Um, so um, it's placed during this like 100-year war that takes place. And, you know, both England and France are claiming to be Christians and claiming to say that God's on their side. Um, so it asks this question, religious question of like, you know, what kind of God is this um, that these people follow? Are Christians really all that goody-goody? Or are they really, at least from a serious perspective, kind of corrupt in various ways? And if you watch, you know, those are some good starters. Um, but I always tell people, um, people who are interested in anime, it's like watching a movie, right? Some people like specific genres. Some people like sports movies. I have no interest in them, right? I love musicals. Some people think it's the worst thing, right? They just feel awkward hearing people sing all the time. Um, some people like action. Some people like, you know, rom-com. 
And, and some people can watch kids' movies. Some people hate kids' movies. Some people, you know, there are rated movies. There's, there's a whole bunch of styles and genres and themes in movies. So is there with anime. With anime, there are anime specifically made for little kids, for teenagers, for adults. Um, there's anime made um, for primarily a women audience, for a male audience. There's every theme that you can talk about, think about. I mean, one of my favorite anime has to do with... Um, board games um so you know if that's you, you my question is always like what what are you interested in and what makes you you know what, what are things that you want to watch and finding a good one based on that would be a good I think, good way to go so a couple ones that are good that are somewhat religious death note is always a great introductory one that has to do with the, the basic plot line is um a man picks up a book that has to do with the ability of a grim reaper that can cause death, right? Um, so there's this moral question of like, is it right to kill those who are on death row kind of thing? Um, so it asks these poignant questions and there are religious themes that are, that are, you know, a lot of people point to there. And it's so popular that I believe that um, the Duffy brothers who, um, directed Stranger Things is actually going to do a live action adaptation of that too. So um, if people don't like anime, you can wait until the live action film comes out, perhaps on Netflix one of these days. Another really popular one is um, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And this has to do with um, alchemy. And um, in that series, the bad guys are called the Seven Deadly Sins, right? So um, there's these kind of Christian themes that are coming up on that. Um, there is the god figure in that series too and the gate that he stands in front actually explicitly says Yahweh or El Shaddai and various um, biblical um, divine names that we're familiar with. So that, that that's another interesting series that's very popular and um, a good entry anime for people. Yeah, you've mentioned some here that I've already gotten questions on and I've, I've been able to tell people I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know anything about them. So now you've given me stuff to watch. Let's say, Kaz, you've got uh, someone like me, maybe they had some sort of introductory experience to, you know, kind of the more mainstream stuff of the 90s, whether it's a Dragon Ball or Naruto or something like that. And you are trying to convince them, Paul, there's something here for you. You're going to sit them down and say, you need to watch this series as your starting point. And let's say, you know, they have a general int interest in the kind of comic book or sci-fi fantasy genre, whether that's Dune or Star Wars, you know, a lot of, we, I've done quite a few videos on that and uh, those those films and series in the past. What would you sit down with that person and, and put on the television and say, here, you need to watch this? Yeah, um, I generally like introducing people to Death Note. I think it's a gripping sto story. Um, and has great moral, like, uh, it makes you think about moral questions. Death Note is a good one. Um, one of my favorite ones these days is actually called Tokyo Revengers. Um, that one has, there's, it's based on, you know, basically Japanese gangster stories, but has a sci-fi, um, like, time-leaping element to it. Um, that's, that's a great series that's more recent. Um, Dr. Stone is another series that's really, really phenomenal right now. Um, um, it's kind of post-apocalyptic, right? Like what happens after the world ends and you're rebuilding civilization. And the whole point with that is um, there's a genius that is reborn and he kind of knows everything about science, right? So he kind of uses his scientific knowledge to rebuild Japan. Um, but of course, 
like most post-apocalyptic series, there has to be with these other groups that have their own philosophy or laws, right? So that, that's a fun series um, that I, I think it's a great entry and for a lot of people. I want to ask you one final question here, Kaz, to do a little, if you're comfortable with this, so maybe a little prognosticating as, as, a, as a theologian. I know you're a biblical scholar, but you're theologically engaging with these cultural texts. Thinking about this generation and how much this generation, especially compared to any prior American generation, is being formed by anime in a way that, again, vastly exceeds the, the, the previous generation and their level of consumption of this genre, what sorts of impacts would you anticipate long, uh, a long-term engagement with anime to produce in American culture? Uh, what good fruit could you see coming out of someone that maybe consumes, uh, you know, hours a week of anime that you say, hey, these stories, there's enough in this genre for it to produce, potentially help someone see the true good and beautiful in a way that produces this fruit in their life? And what are there, what potential dangers would you see or some things that you'd say, hey, you need to be cautious of this as you engage with this medium and you think about what that would produce in uh, Western culture, specifically in American culture, in let's say a generation of, of young people who grow up with uh, anime as maybe even kind of a native tongue for them. So yeah. Um Let's start with the good, right? Um, I, I think it's good that, you know, um, people are challenged with their culture and worldviews. Um, there's a bigger world outside the States. So how um, one person think of a system, whether that religious, philosophical, cultural, political, may not be the only way to view how things are done. Um, from, from that point, I think watching anime, of course, good anime, will, would cause people to think, think deeper, and I, I always think um, experiencing other cultures is really formative for most people. I, I've lived in countries and visited many countries before, and just seeing the lives of people and that, um, and seeing that it, despite the differences, they are created in God, they are people that are valuable. Um, um, you can find ways to relate to people of different culture values. I think, I think that's very important. Um, and given the fact that, you know, um, during a Sunday, you know, especially in the Christian context in the church, they say it's one of the most segregated hours of all the days in the United States. I think that is important. It's important for people to um, be to to have cultural intelligence, right? Um, I remember my mother telling me that you know when she first came to the states, um, someone asked her, "So which part of China is Japan?" Um, that's that's kind of embarrassing question to ask. And I've actually, when I came to the states for college. I made a person and I was talking about Japan and showing them a map. Um, this person said, um, so Japan's part of Tokyo. Um, so these are kind of really, really, I, I know it sounds dumb, but you know, you watch YouTube and you can see shows of like people saying like, okay, could you point to where this country is on this world map? And just people are, you know, uh, they just don't know. So in that sense, um, I think anime could be used in a way that uh, opens up people's world. And of course, um, like I said, it, it can, give good entry um, uh, into various topics um, so where people are going to be thinking about, oh, well, um, maybe it's uh, anime based on a historical period. You'll be like, oh, let me learn a little bit more about this period um, or this figure. I think it could be a good entry way into various topics that people could find helpful. Um, 
little bit of warnings right as people watch or consume a lot of anime. Um, you know, um, there there will be challenges, right, um, that people should be aware of. For example, you know, America long has known that sex sells. Um, this is just part of the culture, and Japan knows this too. Um, there are genres that um, I wouldn't, you know, recommend some people to watch. And even in, you know, very popular genres like Dragon Ball or other series, you know, um, there could be um, maybe scenes that, you know, I wouldn't want to show my children um, that I think, you know, people should be aware of these things. Um, there is a language term called fan service, which basically means, you know, they'll put up, uh, you know, sexually explicit scene or somewhat explicit scenes for people's pleasure, sort of say. So there, there is that aspect um, and that exists in anime that, you know, sometimes, you know, demoralizes maybe a woman or maybe may not be treating a woman or, you know, in a right way. Um, so I think there, those, those are some dangers that could happen. And, you know, I, I do want to protect people's eyes and hearts and, you know, um, not be impacted negatively by maybe perhaps some of these things. Other things to be aware of is that, um, you know, uh, there's a statistic, um, and I don't know how old, how updated this is, but I know the fact that Japanese people watch the most TV per capita in the world, and America's second. So, um, and so you know, there are s studies that talks about, you know, overconsumption of, you know, some, maybe like culture, social media, and all these things can, can have negative you know, psychological effects on, and social effects on people, right? And I, I really do see this because um, in Japan, um, one thing that anime does that's good and negative is that it, it kind of um, opens up a world that they desire, right? Um, they're, they're seeing, uh, uh, they, they, they're, they love entering into this fantasy world, or maybe it, they can relate that, oh, I, I desire that too, right? Um, but I think there could be dangers with that of, you know, um, you know um, of people just almost becoming more too inwardly. In fact, in Japan, a lot of um, there, a lot of Japanese people have uh, not a lot. But there is there is a certain movement in Japan where there are people that are saying like, well, I just have trouble like like a guy that was and this is an adult saying like, I just have trouble relating to real women. Oh, I, I, I just have trouble you know, um, to, to um, socializing with women. Uh, for me, it's just easier to, you know, be a fan of this, you know, anime character or something. Um, um, there are extreme an extreme case is a guy that tries to even marry um, anime characters, right? So this is, you know, withdraw from the world too much into this, this world could be, uh, could be harmful. And, but those are really extreme cases, extreme cases, but nevertheless, it ex exists. And, you know, as the world becomes, you know, we're, we're only developing more in these cyber, cyber spaces and stuff that I do think are, you know, um, things that must be cautioned uh, with overconsumption of certain, even, even something like this, like that's aesthetically beautiful and has, can have a lot of good effects. Yeah, I also, it also seems like cause that, that, that probably overlaps with maybe the, the people that feel an innate attraction uh to the genre similar to maybe when you go to comic-con um oftentimes the people that are attracted to that are very high in openness 
Um, they're high in openness, very, very creative and creatives tend oftentimes to struggle with the sense that the world they envision and imagine, uh, oftentimes seems so much better than the world as mm -hmm. is. And I, I've noticed that, uh, among friends over the years that not, not just with anime, but have gotten deeply into, um, you know, comic books and graphic novels. They're just, just attracted to this, this beautiful, compelling world. And sometimes that, that beauty is it's difficult to reconcile with the the day-to-day -day harsh realities of the way the world is. So, I mean, that seems like it's a strength and also a word of caution, yeah. right? It gives you an opportunity to envision um, a better world. And I, I do think there's something Christian about that sort of eschatological vision, not just escaping, but actually seeing a world transformed yeah. in beauty. Sometimes I'll just put on in the background. There's a, there's like YouTube videos that literally just have like, um, like nature scenes from studio Ghibli films that you can just, they just put them on loop mm -hmm. over and over with like, uh, with just sounds from, uh, the, the films as well. And you really are taken to this place of going, man, there's actually, I know this is just digital and I know this is an artist doing it, but it opens you up to an appreciation of, of the beauty in God's world. And so I can see how that's a strength. And yet it's also something for people attracted to being the creatives, being a visionary for a different kind of world that they often do wrestle with those two things, not, not matching yeah. up. So that's, that's a great insight. This has been incredibly helpful for me cause I really appreciate uh, the time that you've offered. And I'm sure that listeners out there would have plenty more questions that I wasn't able to, to bring to you. I, I will put a link in the description below because you gave a really fascinating talk at Bethel recently on uh, the portrayal of Yahweh, various portrayals of Yahweh in anime. And you've mentioned a couple times already that you're writing a chapter in an upcoming, maybe an anthology. Could you speak to that and maybe where people could find that in the future before yeah. you go? Um, so I've, I've actually edited a volume that deals with maybe religious themes and philosophical themes in anime. Um, it's out with Vernon Press. Um, it's called Anime Philosophy and Religions. You can buy that on Amazon or Vernon Press's website. Um, and so that, that's a book that I edited. It gives an intro, introduction to history of anime, um, specifically in the United States, but also um, a bunch of chapters dealing with various religious, um, philosophical, theological um, themes in various anime series. Um, and I contribute, I wrote a chapter and is contrib uh, I'm contributing to an edited volume um, that's coming out with, I think, Lexington press um theology and popular culture series and i i'm sorry but i don't have the title yet um because it's you know something that's still forthcoming but i think yeah. um we're expecting it within the year or so for this volume to come out and this one specifically has to do with christian theological themes in anime so um so you can look look out to that one Great. I'll also post in the description below for everyone a link to the lecture that uh, Kazayashi gave on uh, the portrayal of Yahweh in anime. It was really, really fascinating. Uh, I, I learned quite a bit watching it. And uh, even if you are not interested in anime or manga at all, it's a great opportunity for you to do some theological, cultural theology and theology of culture, engaging with a cultural 
cultural texts that are outside of Western context. And as uh, Dr. Hayashi has already mentioned, this is an important exercise for all of us to participate in so that we confront maybe our own biases, help us see something maybe that we're missing about the gospel and missing about God's grand story. So uh, Dr. Hayashi, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, it's just been an honor to talk thank to you. Thank you so much. No, I really enjoyed having this discussion. So um, really appreciate this opportunity, Paul. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. Maybe you got some more questions. Maybe there were certain anime that you didn't hear mentioned that you're like, hey, Paul, I think this is worth your attention. You can send me a message on Patreon. You can comment in the discussion forum on Patreon as well. I've been kind of stripping back some of my activities on social media. Just didn't like the total amount of time I was spending on Twitter, Instagram. So the best place to reach out to me is via Patreon. You know, Patreon has a new feature now where you don't even have to be a supporter to be a member of the community. I still will post things that will be available to the public on there. Uh, you could leave comments and things like that, even if you're not ready to support. So the best place to get connected is over on Patreon, even if you're not ready to give any sort of monetary support to this podcast. But I do want to give an extra special thanks to those who are supporting at the Theology 201 level or higher. People like Clint, Brandon, Brent, Daniel, Dave, Eli, Garth, Jean-Marc, Jesse, John Mark, Josie, J. Tom, Justin, Kate, Luke, Matthew, Paul, Rob, Sam P., Stephen H., Tim B. Thank you all for your generous support. I can't do this without you. Let me know your thoughts, your opinions, your questions, all of that stuff. Reach out to me. I love hearing from you all. And until next time, we'll talk again soon.